279, verse 28, chapter 45, verse 28. But before we get there, before you look there, just a little bit of background necessary in order for us to go there and to, to really be inside of the story. This is part of the government's UFO thing. It's just like, who knows what's coming next. So if you are um, someone who loves good stories, if you have someone who likes to hear a good story, to be taken by a good story, to be engaged by a good story, to be lifted by a good story, to be traveled with a good story, many of the stories in the Bible don't make for great stories. Even if one believes in the, the biblical storytelling motif that there's good stories in the Bible, not all of them are great stories. Some of them are okay stories. But regardless of whether you believe the Torah is from God or inspired by human beings or just a good body of myth, you can't but be moved and taken by the story of Joseph. It's the first Hollywood story. It really is. It has all of the elements of a good plot that would keep you riveted in your seat. There's a group of jealous brothers in a world where brothers don't get along the Bible wants us to know that brothers don't get along and siblings don't get along. They're fighting at all moments for the resources that the father, the patriarch, has to give them. The blessings of the patriarch are limited in number. Only one of them gets it. Is it the eldest one, the younger one? From the beginning, it has been that way in the Bible. Some of us might identify with it, not just only being a biblical story, but it's a very true-to-life story, biblical truth about the internecine fighting between siblings that it's not always easy to be a brother or a sister. And so against that backdrop, the Torah gives us the apotheosis of sibling rivalry, the actual com the culmination of, you know, this is how bad it gets. We have it in the beginning with Cain and Abel, but we think by the time we get to the brothers of Jacob, Je like the 12 tribes, we think that it might work out, but it doesn't. And so they see this really gifted kid coming to them, he's a dreamer, he's told them the dream, you've seen the musical, right? So you, he, he told them their dream, and he's, he's all preened and thinking himself to be special. Who does he think he is? He's Joseph with his technicolor dream coat, and he's got dreams, and the dreams are that you, my brothers, are going to be subservient to me. He lauds it over them, and they show him a thing or two, don't they? They take him and they strip him of his coat, they throw him in a pit, and they come back to Jacob and, right, they tell him your beloved son was murdered or was torn apart by a beast. And Jacob now is living the life of a father who has lost his favorite son. And the text doesn't tell us what the brothers are thinking during those 20 years before they show up in front of this viceroy who happens to be Joseph. We don't know about any of the brothers. Are they having remorse? Do they, do they pine for him? We don't know. We do know that Judah one brother of all the brothers the Torah interrupts its story about Joseph to tell us about his saga Judah the fourth child of Leah the fourth eldest in the family Judah who had the idea to sell Joseph into slavery right it was his idea said hey I have a good idea everybody let's not murder him let's just sell him down into slavery and see, you know so that was Judah's great idea and so then Judah the story interrupted was Judah 
himself going down away from the brothers. Just like Joseph had gone away from the brothers because of the brothers, Judah went away from the brothers and he had three children and lost two of them. Two of Judah's children died. That's all we know. And we know that he is taught a very important lesson by his daughter-in-law, Tamar. The story then, right, where we are in the story is that then the brothers go down to Egypt and Joseph sees them. They speak out loud to Joseph in front of Joseph, not knowing that it's Joseph, right, just out of a movie. He's completely disguised to them. They don't recognize him. And they say in Hebrew, thinking that this Egyptian won't understand, wow, all of this, all of our troubles are because we sold our brother into slavery. And then Joseph narrates, he, 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 he moves everything around, he kind of orchestrates everything so that the real test will be, he will bring Benjamin down to Egypt. Benjamin is, of course, the child of the same mother as Joseph, of Rachel, the beloved Rachel, the one Jacob loves more than Leah. And the test will be, will the brothers, once again, when confronted with the exact same scenario, Will they sell Benjamin, as it were, let him be taken away from the family and go back to Jacob empty-handed, and then Jacob too will have lost two children. So of course Judah, at this moment, Judah steps forward. And Judah says, I have made myself collateral for this young man. Take me. He sacrifices himself. Prefiguring a Christian motif, right? That the, the willingness to give yourself for the sake of the greater polity, the greater body, the greater family. Here, he jumps on the grenade himself. Judah says, you know what? You can't take Benjamin because speaking to Joseph, of course, not knowing that it's Joseph or maybe knowing that it's Joseph, but Joseph knows he's Joseph. And Joseph knows that Judah was the one who had the idea to send him to slavery. And so Judah sends to him in the most amazingly courageous moment in the Bible, Judah stands into power. He steps closer in and he says, please, my master, you are the most powerful man in the world. If I let you keep my younger brother, Benjamin, you will kill my father. I will never be able to go home to my father and tell him that I promised him that I would safeguard Benjamin and now he's lost. So take me, Judah says, and that take me in his place is what opens Joseph's heart. Joseph is completely blown away. Everything in him, maybe because Joseph himself can't imagine sacrificing himself for the sake of the whole. Maybe Joseph sees in Judah a courage and a willingness that he himself didn't even have. Maybe because Judah passed a test and it was just a test. This is only a test if we're a real, right? Who knows? But something, you know, don't cry out loud, just keep it inside, don't let, you know, them know your feelings. Joseph can't hold it in anymore, he begins to cry, and at this moment, every reader, every listener, for 2,000 some odd years, begins to cry with Joseph about this, this reconciliation. This unanswered question of Joseph's back earlier when he was asked where he was going, when he went to find his brothers, before it all began, he said, I am looking for my brothers, et achai anochi mivakesh. And here he is, once again reconciled, and the text will bring us back to this moment. And if you follow me now in the Torah, turn to page 279 and look to verse 25. 279, 279, verse 25. And let me know when you're there. If you're not there, look on with somebody. Because I need you. I'm not going to give this, the rest of this is not me. I'm going to listen to you guys, okay? 
And all of them came back to Canaan to their father Jacob. And they said to him, Old Yosef Chai, Joseph is yet alive. And not only is he alive, get this. You're not going to believe this. And he doesn't. And he's not only alive, but he's the head honcho. He's Jeff Bezos. He's got he's Amazon. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's not just not dead. That would be enough. We found him on the side of the road, and he's okay. A couple of scraps. He's been living on an island somewhere. He was taken by apes or by you know or by in the jungle. He's alive, but he's not just alive. He's powerful. And then this great moment. And Jacob's heart was Vayafag. He has like a mini heart attack. We don't even know how to translate that word. Vayafag. Is anybody Vayafag? What does it mean? He palpitates like his heart's like he has to like hold on, wheezy. I'm going. He's like holding. Here I go. Here I go. I'm coming. I'm coming. He what? His heart stops. So almost like Jacob dies hearing that Joseph's alive. Jacob was dead. Joseph was dead and Jacob was alive. Now Jacob is dead and Joseph is alive. It's like, I, I can't, he can't, it's too much to hear that news. I remember um, reading the, the biography of the great, great, great rabbi uh, of Lubavitch, the previous Rebbe of Lubavitch, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, in a book that Joseph Telushkin wrote called The Rebbe. The Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson's uh, sibling, younger sibling, had died. But because his mother, meaning the Rebbe's mother, was infirm, he didn't tell her for 20 years. Because he was afraid that telling her would kill her. They actually had that moral and ethical dilemma. Do I tell her? Because it might kill her. Like she would, you know, here it's good news that might kill him. <laughs> but they have to tell him the good news. And then verse 27, they, they tell him everything Joseph said. He saw the chariots. And Yaakov's spirit was revived. So, so first of all, stop here for a moment. He doesn't believe them. They tell him everything Joseph said. And then the Torah, which is not, right? The Torah does not waste words, everybody. The Torah doesn't give us details that it doesn't think are important. It says, and then he saw the chariots that had been sent, and he, and he got it. So we, Tony and Bill, we, we, we were talking about this, right? What did, so he saw the chariots, and all of a sudden, he got it. It's real. What do, you think, what do you think is going on there, just for a moment, just we'll pause, little parentheses. What do you think is going on there? Maybe he got it that there's no way that the story could be true if there were really these big chariots there. The way it couldn't be true? Right? The only way that they could have these chariots there is because the story is plausible. Right? Joseph's being the head of Egypt is, makes the chariots possible. What do you think? What's with the chariots? Maybe you don't know. Okay. Living proof. Living proof. The rabbis have an opinion about why it's chariots. I'm not going to go into it right now. It's too complicated. Verse 28. Vayomer Yisrael, and now there's a name change. All of a sudden, Jacob, who is now alive, the Torah now says his name is Yisrael. 
Vayomer Israel, and now Jacob, now Israel says, Ha! Rav! Enough! Od! Yosef, Chai, my son, Od Yosef, Bini, Chai, my son is alive. El Chever Enu, Beterimamus, I have to go see him before I die. Vayisa Yisrael, Vechola Shalom, Vayavo, Beera Shava, Vayizbach, Zvachim, Lohe Aviv, Yitzchak. And so now Israel says, I'm going to go down to Egypt. So he takes everything that he has, he goes to Be'er Sheva, he goes to a place called Be'er Sheva, we still know about that place today in Israel. He goes to Be'er Sheva, and he offers up offerings. When you offer offerings in the Bible, what's it a way of saying? Thank you. Thank you to God. He comes to a place called Be'er Sheva, he sets up a little altar, makes a little barbecue, and he says thank you. And the text tells us the text tells us it's the best thing as a rabbi to see your kid walking around your shul with a box of Oreo cookies. <laughs> I can't tell you how much nachas I have when I see that. It's just like, thank you so much. I'll put my altar up with Oreo cookies on my altar. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Where's the milk? He's got a little... So, so he, he, the text tells us that he offers offerings to the God of his father, Isaac. It doesn't mention his grandfather, Abraham. But it mentions his father Isaac. And then it says, And then God appears to Jacob and tells him, Don't worry about going down to Egypt. Jacob, Jacob. So, how do we make, what do we make sense of these verses this morning? How is it for us in our lives today, tomorrow, next week, next year? Because when we wake up, we wake up and we hear biblical stories because of how they relate to us, not just because of how they were once. So how is this story me and you, all of us here today? It's a story of someone who thought something was lost and was given hope again. It's a story of someone who gave up, who thought that he would never see his son ever again, but was given back his son as a gift. It's a story of someone who had two names, the wrestler or the one who was the victim and the one who was the champion. Jacob as victim thought that he had had a rough life. But Jacob as wrestler, which is the name Yisrael, the champion, the one who can strive with difficulty and overcome it, that is the name that, Joseph, that Jacob transforms into when he hears that my son is still alive. And it's about someone finishing business with a father with whom he had no relationship whatsoever. There's something about Jacob here that before he sees Joseph has to make amends and reconcile with his own father. Because in that interaction, in this moment, the text is very openly and blaringly screaming to us that whatever we don't pass back, we pass forward. Whatever we don't pass back, we pass forward. The Torah isn't unaware of the sins of the fathers being visited upon the sons. We might have an ethical and moral problem that why should I suffer for the sins of my fathers? But that's only if you understand it as the sins of my father. But what about just the lacks of my family? What I lacked, what I didn't have, I can't give what I don't have. Jacob never had 
a father who chose him. And so he chose Joseph. He lived in a world where his mother chose him and his father chose his brother Esau. And he lived in that world where there was only one blessing. And so he gave that on to his children. He set the whole thing in motion. This is Jacob owning his part in a way in what transpired. Throughout the story of Jacob and Joseph, there's almost no mention of Jacob's culpability whatsoever. It's all the brothers. The brothers saw him and were jealous. Shouldn't be jealous. Can you not be jealous? I mean, has anybody here never been jealous before? Let me say that. Has anybody here not been jealous in the last hour? That's a little bit easier. Has anybody here not been envious of someone with gifts that you wish you had? But Jacob had a responsibility as a father. Maybe this is slightly anachronistic for us to read this back into the biblical story. But like as a decent dad, he didn't have to give a technicolor dream coat to his son. You see, Joseph received the thing that Jacob wished he had received. See, Jacob wore clothing too, but it wasn't his own coat. He wore the coat of his brother. In order for Jacob to be blessed by his father Isaac, he needed to wear Esau's skins. He had to be something other than who he was. And so when he saw how powerfully unique Joseph was, he was such a unique child, a dreamer, he said, oh, there I am. There's me right there. I'm the dreamer. He's the dreamer. He belongs to my beloved Rachel, reminds me of love. I'm going to give him that technicolor dream coat. Tonit Pasim. Pasim. He gave him his, a, a petticoat. It went down to his palms. It was like, you are the head honcho here. He set it up. So Joseph brings Jacob back to life and then Jacob becomes Israel. And when Jacob becomes Israel and says, now I'm alive, I've been given a gift that was taken from me. I will make a stop in a place called Be'er Shavah. I'm going to make a stop in a place called the Well of the Seven, a place that, re that was about reconciliation. It was about peace, about a treaty or a pact. And at that place, he invokes not only, he invokes only, I should say, his father Isaac, not his grandfather Abraham. He said, my real place is with my, the, the God of my father Isaac. The story is so powerful for me personally every year when I read it because it reminds me, it reminds me not only to believe in happy endings, not only to believe that the story will end well, like a fundamental belief I think in Western civilization, at least in the Hollywood of this world, it'll always, like the, the heroes always, it always ends well. It's not tragic. But it reminds me not only to have hope at a time of the year when I need to remember that, but it also reminds me of my responsibility, my role, not only in being grateful, but being responsible. Responsibility is at the core of this story. Responsibility is at the core of all of the genesis of the Breshit narratives. Be responsible. Own your part in situations where your part was was fundamental, was part and parcel of why it happened. Jacob makes a stop in order to go backward in time and to say, if I could do it again, I would do it differently. If I could do it again, I would be cognizant of how it might end up. If I could do it again, I'd be more mindful. Now, 
It's a little bit heavy, so let's make it lighter so for a moment, okay? So I want to call up for this Aliyah, the first Aliyah, the group Aliyah, anyone for whom this speaks. Two pieces of the story of this reading that, is, that again, are, are here. One is a re-energizing of a place where you've lost faith in something or in someone. A place in your life where you're waiting for good news, but you've been waiting so long that you've kind of given up hope. Could be personal, could be in yourself. I sometimes read this text and say, I wonder when I'm going to wake up. What have I left behind? What needs to happen for me? And the second calling up, or meaning the second kavanah that I'm offering, intention I'm offering is this. I think that the response to a gift is always gratitude. The response to a gift should always be gratitude, whether it's a gift of life, a gift of children, a gift of Hanukkah present, whatever it is, gifts obligate us. They obligate us to give back. That's wonderful, so that's here, but there's also something else. Things that we received that we didn't want require us to give them back too. There needs to be a return policy. If someone gives you a gift, you say thank you, but if you don't want it, you say no thank you. And so Jacob received gifts from his father and he received a gift from God here in this moment saying, here's Joseph. But there's another thing he needs to do which is say, thank you, but no thank you. Thank you for giving me Joseph back, but here Jacob, no thank you for what you gave me. I don't want it anymore. I don't want that burden that you placed on me. I want it to be clean. I want to be light. I'm going down to Egypt. I don't have time to carry extra baggage. You're going to charge me at the airport. It's going to be crazy. I don't need it. I don't need extra baggage. So this is the time of the year when we, um, we lift up both the gratitude and the gratefulness that comes from receiving from those who came before us. And also is a good time of the year to both thank for what we got and give back what we didn't need. It's also a good time to give back what we didn't need. So I'm calling for the first Aliyah, anyone who is identifying this morning with Jacob and Yisrael. Jacob, the one who was in doubt, and Yisrael, the one who is giving it back for the first Aliyah.